Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Frame. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Tuesday edition of the podcast. Also, want to remind you guys, go on to YouTube. A uh, good chance for you to earn or win, I should say, a year subscription to DuckTerritory.com. We're going to give 10 of those away uh, to 10 of the first 500 people that subscribe to the YouTube channel, Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports. That will get you to the show. Uh, we've got a ton to break down because we spent Monday afternoon for about an hour, 40 minutes or so, talking with head coach Mario Cristobal, offensive coordinator Joe Moorhead, and defensive coordinator Tim DeRuder, just kind of reviewing the Arizona win. They are 4-0 still. That's the most important thing. And also kind of looking ahead to Stanford and the challenges that the Cardinal will present. And I think the biggest piece of news that we got out of that press conference, press conferences, was Kayvon Thibodeau is expected to be full go, ready to go, play a full game. Maybe not full go health-wise, but he was on a snap count against Arizona, and Mario Cristobal says he now anticipates – Thibodeau to be available full go for this Stanford game. And honestly, guys, like they really need him back. I mean, it's it's becoming evident that this defense is not close to its full potential and full map, you know, full ability of production without him on the field. They cannot replicate the things that he brings to the field on a consistent basis. No, and I don't think you I mean you go look around the country in a top player at whatever position on any team it's going to be hard to do that with not making it harder for Oregon is that Braden Swinson who sounds like I mean he's he was doubtful two consecutive weeks and now it sounds like he's like out for a bit so I I don't know we don't know specifics Mario continues to kind of you know he's the one who leads us to where kind of the injuries are and we're kind of taking for his word but last couple weeks it was questionable maybe doubtful and now it's full-on he's not with he's not gonna be with the team on this game for this game at Stanford so he will not be playing um, but you're right. Thibodeau being back is, is huge. This is what we've talked about. Now, is it 100% Kayvon or is it not? Um, re- regardless, those are helpful. It's a helpful thing. Um, but I do think we saw him not be particularly productive against Arizona. And he needs that. That can't be the case against Stanford. You know, if he's back in name only and he's out there almost as a decoy, that's not going to help a lot. I mean, it, it won't hurt, I don't think, um, but it's it's certainly not ideal. So, I mean, I think how healthy and how actually available he is, I and mean, obviously it sounds like he's going to play and play a lot, but what is he actually able to do? How is he able to make an impact? That's something I'm concerned with, or at least want to know more about, and we'll be looking forward to seeing on, on Saturday. And then the other one from an injury perspective, I mentioned Swinson was, was Mace Funa, who I guess I'd missed how little he'd played in the second half, um, or, or just in general, because Christopher kind of indicated he played like 50% of the snaps. I'd have to go back and, and we rewatched it. And I just, I guess maybe I noticed or missed that he wasn't out there so much, or I was so used to seeing the Trayvon, my Trevor, my eyes and the Adrian Jackson's and the 
Brennan Buckner's and Jake Shipley's play that I didn't realize, hey, Mace is supposed to be out here. Um, but it sounds like he's also had a really good kind of a last few days in terms of the confidence in his health is, is higher. So expect to see him play fully. So that's two that's your two top outside linebackers that have not been full go since the first game that it's at least together. That it sounds like are are going to be against Stanford and full go. Again, I mean, fully able to participate for a full game. Um, those things together, I think, are, are really important developments for this team against a Stanford offense that that we'll talk about more this week. That's that's pretty good. It's got some real talent and some real playmakers and, and is going to challenge Oregon in, in ways that we've already seen them challenge, but also in unique ways with just the way they play with their, their size on the outside and that tight end and, and how effective they can be running the football at times. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to basically reiterate what you guys have already said about KT being in the game. Uh, Cristobal did say he like, responded physically well after last week against Arizona, and he he anticipates that he'll play a full game. Um, we'll see. He was definitely on a very limited rep count. Um, again, we had him at 13 total reps. Mario post game said that they wanted to have him be like from six to 10. Um, there were probably one or two plays max where he actually made an impact. One of them came from the, the Michael Wright interception. Um, but other than that, he was, he didn't record any stats. He was basically like a no show, but that, you know, that kind of happens when you only play 10 snaps, but Getting Mace back will help. Uh, definitely also didn't realize how little he played. It seemed like he might have also been on a snap count. Uh, I kind of wonder if Adrian Jackson were on a snap count as well because this was his first game in, uh, in in two weeks that he played against Arizona. Uh, he wasn't out there too often either just from rewatching. Uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see how Thibodeau plays if he plays up to his usual pedigree. Of being one of the being the best, if not one of the best players on the field at any given moment, uh, and that'll it really help Oregon's defense when it comes to playing Stanford. And like just like Eric was saying, they got a lot of big bodies up front, run a lot of twelve personnel with two tight ends, and uh, that's always going to be an issue seemingly this year with Oregon's defensive front, uh, Sands Kavon. So, well, the Ducks are definitely hoping that he comes back one hundred percent and can make an, an immediate impact with him on the field. Is, I'm, I'm trying to think of what's more concerning for Oregon right now um, going into the Stanford game, uh, their ability to give up the big passing plays on third downs, which we've seen continue, um, or some growing concern with the inability to stop running attacks when they've got two tight ends because this is the team that's going to employ two tight ends quite often, uh, if not every down because of Sanford's history with David Shaw um, in that position. It, it, it's a tough one to figure out. And I, I think the, the more that this, my mind has kind of gone away from what happened against Arizona and started previewing this game against Stanford and knowing what we've seen from Oregon's defense through four games, like Oregon on paper should win by a lot. They're an eight point favorite, but I'm kind of wondering, like this might be a kind of a back and forth affair for at least a little bit, because I don't have a ton of confidence in Oregon's defense, you know, preventing the big plays either on third down and long or some run plays. The issue is I don't have a lot of confidence in the offense either. Um, yeah. You know, so I mean, and it's like kind of twofold. And Jared did a good job, I think, in his machination story, which he put up yesterday. 
of establishing that it is twofold. There are issues on offense and defense. And I think that's very clear talking with both coordinators. I don't think anyone's like jumping for joy right now because there's just a lot to clean up. Um, defensively, yeah, I mean, and just back to the way you think this game's going to go, I guess, Matt, I, I think that's probably the case. I mean, we, we've now seen Oregon play four games. Um, there have been exactly like one and a half quarters where Oregon's been up enough where they can play backups, really. Um, even against Stony Brook, it wasn't until, you know, mid to late third quarter where you felt like the game was completely over. Not that anyone thought Oregon was going to lose, but it was it was not a sizable enough advantage to really be like, okay, let's get the reserves out there. And then against Arizona, and these are both teams that are worse than Stanford, in my opinion, um, and those are both home games. Uh, against Arizona, yeah, it was it was just the same thing. I mean, they didn't really create separation until late mid-fourth, really. You know, but seven minutes to play in the fourth quarter was when Bennett Williams had his pick six, and that was where you kind of went, okay, exhale, the game is over, Oregon's going to win. Um, so I would expect this to be back and forth. Um, from a talent perspective, this is a more talented team than Oregon has faced the last two weeks. Um, you know, they're significantly more talented at quarterback. <clears throat> Tanner McKee is really good. And, you know, I think if you just are assessing which thing concerns you more is, is rush defense or, or passing defense, can, I just say both at this point. Um, you know, I, I, I like the personnel a lot better in the secondary than I do in the front seven at its current state, at least the way it's played the last couple of weeks and part of that is injury related. But the cornerbacks can play great defense and, and be in zone, you know, but they aren't, I mean, they, they're just like, it doesn't necessarily have to be bad personnel play at corner or at safety for the passing game for the opposing offense to work. It can, a lot of it can be scheme related. And I think that's what we've seen is just like, it's hard for Oregon to know how to defend opposing offenses without getting a pass rush. Um, and they haven't done a very good job of doing that. And so like, I'm concerned with both. I think, I think, you know, I'm, I'm probably just, I'm, I'm probably a little more concerned against the run because I, I don't know if I see as many game changers and as there are in the secondary, as there is in Oregon's front seven. I mean, Noah Sewell's really good. And I think when health, there's a bunch of other guys that are good, but that defensive front, man, I'm, I'm concerned. Like, I think if there's a position on the entire team, I'm most concerned with it's the defensive line. I think it's pretty clearly the weak link right now. Um, hasn't mm -hmm. been very good without Kayvon Thibodeau. Now you throw back in the best player in the country. Maybe that changes things, but yeah, no, that's a long-winded winded way to say there's not a lot on defense I think you're, like, feeling great about right now. Yeah, I'm, I talked about this a bit in, in my machinations column that I put out on, on Monday, but the defense can be concerning. On, in this matchup in particular, the front five going against Stanford's front is more concerning than it has been in the past. Um, but I'm I'm also a little worried about Oregon's offense as well and and, and their ability to, to hold Stanford – uh, like accountable at a, as a quarterback. Um, I have a feeling that Stanford's coaching staff understands the what Anthony Brown cannot do with the football in his hands. And I feel like they will, out of anybody that they played so far, there's enough tape at this point where Stanford will try to optimize how often Anthony Brown can try to throw the ball deep because he hasn't shown yet that he can do that. Um, if he if he does show that he can throw the ball deep against Stanford, that's a huge development for Oregon's offense. It opens up the fields, it open it opens up the flats, it opens up the running room for CJ Verdell and Travis Dye. Um, that's a, a a little bit of a, a dis different discussion. Um, yeah, Oregon's Oregon's defense and, the, and their front five are going to be really put to the test, even with Thibodeau in the game. Um, 
it's it's going to be an important game for Oregon to show that they can produce any sort of uh, pass rush or just fill up fill up gaps in the in the in the front three in their A or B gap. So it's going to be an interesting one. I uh, probably two weeks ago I probably felt a lot more confident heading into that game, especially on the road. Um, I'm not saying that you know we'll get to our predictions later in the week, but I think this one could be you know a tight knit game through and through. On the offensive side of the ball, Jared kind of brought it up. Um, Joe Moorhead talked about how you know the quarter, the, the, the overall offense against Arizona um, obviously didn't have a lot of plays in that third quarter, but he did say that he would describe. Uh, or as Mario Chrisbox, excuse me, said that he would describe Anthony Brown as um, productive, uh, someone that put up numbers when needed to. And the concern, though, is this is the second strip. This was the second game in four games this season that Anthony Brown has completed under fifty percent of his passes. Now, to his credit. He hasn't had a turnover in those games. He's also rushed for a combined 100 yards in those two games, and he's thrown for five touchdowns uh, in those two games. But I I do think it's a growing concern of the inaccuracy at quarterback and and the potential of the big play there. Like we're talking about this offense needing to have some big plays and the, the coaching staff saying that when they go forwards or when they do throw the ball downfield, you know, it's it's really huge if they can convert like that 63-yard touchdown pass that Anthony Brown threw on the third play of scrimmage against Arizona. Um, the, the impact that those can have, but unfortunately, they're inaccurate. And I think it's starting to – it's not like a full-on panic yet, but it is starting to get to a point where you're you – know, you have to be a little concerned about it. Oh, yeah. No, there's any question about it. That passing offense has not been very good. Um, the running offense has been pretty great, in my opinion, if, if I'm just being honest. And I think those things work hand in hand. And so if, if you are able to set up – if you are able to finally have some success throwing the football, I think that's just going to help the running game too. Because I think you get to a place here where defense is is kind of like, okay, we, we know the limitations. Um, you know, like, like we've said, there's now enough game time for – game tape, I should say, for Stanford to go out and be like, okay – this is what Anthony Brown is good at, and this is what he's not good at. And I say that because having now watched these games live and rewatched them a couple times each, I already have a pretty good idea. And I'm not at all a football coach or an evaluator. I, I can already kind of tell you what some of his limitations are and aren't as a quarterback. And I hope I'm wrong on some of those and that maybe maybe he is dinged up right now and, and dealing with more of an injury than we think. Um, Mark Crispell says he's not. Um and, if, and maybe that's sort of slowing down some of the stuff here. But I think especially on some of these, like, vertical passes, you know, I asked Moorhead about it, and he was pointing – you know, he's quick to point to, hey, we had we did hit – I think he said they hit four passes that were of 20 or, or further yards downfield. Um, you know, one to Red, one to Chris Hudson, I think another one to uh, – I'm trying to think on who some of those were. I think he might have hit Johnson downfield a little bit. But I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on, I guess, what the other vertical one was. But – um, he said that they had a couple of connections, but he also noted that they missed on a, a few, um, and, and they did. And he was pretty careful with how he assessed the reasons behind it. But I came away, and, and those listening, I would encourage you to go look at the quotes and and listen to the audio, or, or go listen to the, the video. Um, 
kind of was pretty clear, like Anthony Brown's a big component in why this isn't working. Right? And I think if you've watched the games, that's pretty hard to argue. There's been a lot of open opportunities. Um, you know, you, you've seen Micah Pittman and Devin Williams run down the field open. Maliki Matavau in the last game, Jared did a great job of breaking that one down on the machinations. It was wide open. He just didn't look there. He looked the wrong spot. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that need to be corrected. And I'm just a little concerned right now about what actually can be fixed there, with especially with the vertical passing game. That's not to say they can't have success. Anthony Brown has a history of doing better in this area than we than we've shown mm -hmm. at Oregon. So it's there at Boston College, um, but at Oregon, after a couple of bad knee injuries, it's not. And so I don't know if the, so those things work hand in hand or whatnot. And maybe I'm just trying to like kind of on the fly try to understand some of this. But this is a quarterback who we thought was going to be able to stretch the field a little bit more vertically than he has. And at this point, I'm I'm kind of concerned if he has that in him right now. Yeah, it's it's a bit of a quandary that Oregon finds themselves in. Uh, I think that there's a lot of moments during the games where, you know, they, Oregon finds itself in a third and long or even just on the first down passing attempts where it doesn't go exactly how they would want it to go. And whether that's Brown just making a poor throw or Brown making a wrong read on a, on a choice, uh, I think it happens far too often for Oregon to put a lot of faith in their quarterback play to get push them down the field. So, and like I said earlier, and like Eric, like you said as well, like the, the, the film is, is there for Stanford to really devise a defensive scheme and, and basically prevent Brown from doing anything that he does well, which is, you know, uh, like mid range passes and using his legs. Um, you know, his, his legs have been a very valuable asset for Oregon's offense. It provides a, honestly a third element to, to prepare for between Diane Verdell out of the backfield, the, uh, the the talented wide receivers they have out wide, and then you have to think about if well Brown can, if if he gets a great block, he can take off and go for fifteen to twenty yards, and then Oregon is suddenly moving down the field. Um, so I'm I'm going to be interested to see how they play Anthony Brown because I, I don't think there was enough film really for Ohio State, and I also don't really think Ohio State's defense is that good. But now after four full weeks of Brown participating and playing every single snap. Um, I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to see how Stanford defends them because they always play basically every team tough. Uh, the big physical group, they have athletes on the perimeter. Uh, I think it'll be a good matchup to see how Oregon, you know, reacts during the game and make, a, make adjustments at halftime or something and see where they go from. Let's look at the offensive side of the football for Stanford real quick. Um, Mario Cristobal, Eric, gave you some good stuff on Tanner McKee. They're, they're, he wasn't their opening day starter, but it's pretty evident that he is their now long-term solution, and the play backs it up. I think if he was their opening day starter, they might – not have lost that game, or at least they would have been yeah. a lot more competitive. I mean, Jack West got the start and threw two picks, and they lost 24-7. And, and you look at the stats he put up in that game. He was like – I forget exactly what it was, but he was like 12 for 14 for 160 yards and a touchdown, um, somewhere on that range. I think he only had two incompletions. I don't remember. Maybe it was 10 for 12. I don't remember. But regardless, I mean, he was he was really good, and he's picked it up since. And Cristobal, I mean, talked about him like he thinks he's someone who will have an NFL future. And someone who will have a very good one who's going to continue to play at a high level. Really just talked about the intangibles and his ability to do everything. I think you you look at him physically at his size and you, and 
I don't want to compare him to Justin Herbert as an as a as a quarterback or as a football player, but as an athlete at his size at 6'6 and 220, 230 pounds, he can move around a lot better than I think people want to give him credit for. Um, I don't think he has the same type of arm strength and whatnot, but he's capable and he's very very much gonna be again. Like I made I forget if I made this point on air if I just suggested it to you guys off air, but probably a good chance that for the third time this season, Oregon's gonna be facing a better quarterback than they want to have on their team. You know, I think Tanner McKee is, is, is definitely an NFL caliber player. Cristobal, I think even suggested he might be the toughest quarterback they faced yet. And I think that's saying something considering they, they faced Jay Kaner, who's been good enough to beat UCLA and I think has an NFL future and CJ Stroud, who was a former five-star recruit um, that, that Oregon badly wanted as a, as a prospect. So that, that McKee is someone to very much be aware of in this game. And, and you look at his passing stats so far, no interceptions. Hasn't had like a massive game from a passing yards perspective. He hasn't thrown over 300 yards, but similar to Oregon's offense where Anthony Brown hasn't thrown over 300 yards, that doesn't necessarily mean the offense isn't effective. They do want to establish their run game. They are multiple in how they attack you. And like Oregon, the, the run component is huge. So um, I think don't be don't look at his stats and be like, OK, he hasn't thrown a ton of yards. He's, he's just small sample size when he has some. He's been very, very effective. Eight touchdowns, no turnovers. And I think like a 67 percent completion percentage. So it's the challenge for Oregon. And the guys that he's going to be throwing the football to, I think, could ultimately we've made a big deal about the pass rush from Oregon or the ability to stop the run from Oregon or Oregon's inaccuracies at quarterback uh, or the big, the lack of consistent big plays from the Oregon offense. I ultimately think, and this feels strange to say, but I ultimately think like what really could be the deciding factor here is Oregon's back end of the, of the defense uh, or the, the middle and back end, the linebackers and defensive backs, how they match up and how they perform against the receivers and the tight ends. Um, I, I, I think it's it's going to be critical for Oregon to, to be able to match up with those guys. I'll be curious to see if they go bigger, maybe. Something that I think Drew mentioned. Um, we haven't seen a lot of Tricos Bridges, who's a much taller corner. Did they match him up outside mm-hmm. against Higgins and uh, Tremaine, which are their 6'3", 6'4", 6'5", body types? Higgins is built like a tight end, but moves like a receiver. He's like a really a special dynamic athlete. Um, yeah, no, I, I will be very curious to see how they defend those guys because that's that's always <laughs> that's always how they do it. And as Druder said, it's like they are almost going to put out a couple basketball players out there and, and throw a, a jump ball and see what happens. So um, definitely a matchup to be aware of as well. It's going to do, do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. Also, make sure to go – Onto YouTube, listen to that, uh, subscribe to that. Oregon Ducks on 24-7 Sports is the YouTube channel. We'll be putting stuff up throughout the week leading up to Saturday's game at Stanford, which all three of us will be there. Uh, so make sure to check that out. Also go to duckterritory.com for your full coverage leading up to that game. Uh, and until we speak to you next on this show, you've been listening to the Austin Audible Podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. 
I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 